0: We begin with Schoenberg because that's where this idea of transfiguration, which underpins my little talk, uh, comes from, and here we have his own self-portrait on the left and a photograph of him uh, by Man Ray in 1926. So um, a u- more youthful on the, on the left uh, self-image. And Schoenberg, as an artist, I must say, I think it's a pity he didn't encounter abstraction. I, I think he just needed to go beyond the figurative, which he, he was sort of trying to do. But uh, uh, I, actually, I'm just grateful he stayed with the music, really. And... Um, <laughs> But it is so fascinating for art historians that he did that crossover because um, and, and again as someone who's trying one, one day to give a sort of lecture or talk that's, that's got a, a visual and an oral element to it, um, to integrate music and, and, and the images, it would be great. Uh, and this of course is part of that total work of art idea that underlies um, the Vienna show. Uh, So uh, this is a good contrast we have here because if I'm trying to work through the idea of the transfigured self, which has an idea of change in it, I think that um, it's nice to think about what is portraiture? Is it about capturing reality, which I suppose the photograph will will tend to assume is going to capture some pre-existing reality and reproduce it for us? Um, and or is it about changing that reality, and and in what way, uh, and that encapsulates that problem? How does portraiture relate to this um, this uh, melting pot of ideas and psychological insights that we we have already seen uh, characterize uh, Vienna 1900? Um, and here is Richard Day-Mell, um the. Uh, the composer of the poem Transfigured Night that inspired um, Schoenberg. And here on the right is, um, for your delectation really, is just a scene from a contemporary base, uh, ballet based on Transfigured Night, the music uh, that we might hear at the end. Um, and I just want to uh, read very briefly and quickly, I hope, from the poem Transfigured Night, um, to just so you give some idea get some idea of where, where, what that music was inspired by. Though we must also remember that Schoenberg said later that he found aspects of this poem a little repulsive. Um, quite literally said that, I actually think he, he's underestimating the power of the poem too. So just uh, the, the, the poem and Transfigured Night, the idea is of um, two people alone walking through a forest, terribly sort of um, a very familiar idea. Two people walk through a bare cold grove, the moon races along with them, they look into it. And then I'm going to skip little bits, which is unforgivable with the poem, but I'm doing it. Uh, A woman's voice speaks, I'm carrying a child and not yours. I walk in sin beside you. I have committed a great offence against myself. And the mood goes very dark, of course. And the music, of course, reflects all of this. But then the mood turns, and the mood turns very much so in the music too, Uh, The poem goes, a man's voice speaks. May the child you conceive be no burden to your soul. Just see how brightly the universe is gleaming. There's a glow around everything. You are floating with me on a cold ocean, but a special warmth flickers from you into me, from me into you. It will transfigure the strange man's child. You will bear the child for me as if it were mine. You have brought the glow into me. You have made me like a child myself. He grasps her around her ample hips. Their breath kisses in the breeze. Two people walk through the lofty, bright night. And that's most of that poem by Richard Demel. Um And, of course, it's translated from the German and we'll lose a lot. But I think what we have there are lots of fascinating themes that from me as an art historian relate uh, very much to themes that have been there in the past, but come forward and I I draw your attention to the glow around everything, the floating uh, in a cold ocean, uh, above all the transfiguration that happens, and you've made me like a child the, the um, relating to nature uh, so in terms of psychology uh, it's a really uh, fascinating uh, insight into some real th- rethinking of what human psychology might be from something that's very dominated by uh, social orders and uh, prescriptions of how one might behave to relating probably at a very much deeper level to nature and all finding this within and above all having the capacity to change and generate that from within so through another, another person eliciting that from you and through relating to nature, which is very sort of strong in the poem and then in the music in this most wonderful way. Uh, so then, hopefully, so here we have Schoenberg again in a portrait we've seen several times. This is Richard Gerstel's amazing portrait of Schoenberg before he runs off with his wife. <clears throat> Um, And, uh, you know, when you look at it again and realise that the the artist, and I'm sorry about my terrible reproduction here, the the artist uh, that painted this is about to um, run off with his wife. The subject's wife is is rather haunting and and disturbing. Um, And it's a somewhat a very strange, disturbing um, portrait. He's sort of sitting on the edge of his seat, that sort of asymmetry of the perspective, um, and he's a very, um, you know, he's a very watchful, strange um, depiction of him. Richard Gerstle himself, of course, um, and some of my images aren't brilliant, but the, he is is, a, is another kettle of fish. He's uh, quite strange, and... Um, in his works, though, is really braving new ground. Obviously, these uh, stand out in the history of art as some of the most, in many ways, shocking but uh, but exciting works. Uh, and the desire to sort of see the self and present the self in, in all one's nakedness is so paramount here, quite literally. On the right, a kind of spiritualized version. And note that... hey Oh, sorry. The... Um, kind of halo around the self that we have here and uh, remember in the poem the, the aura the halo um, that, the, of, of light so a kind of deification of the self and then there's this extraordinary uh, nakedness and this desire to look at the human body and the human anatomy but that's it's in the human body that we might find the answers to um, our our real selves. So it's, it's a, going into the psychology of the self, the unconscious that's percolating away with um, Freud's works, the uh, interpretations of dreams being published in 1900, um, but also the whole human anatomy. Um, Another artist in the uh, exhibition that I just wanted to briefly illustrate is Wilhelm List and I have a very poor reproduction of the work, the ravishing work, and what a revelation it is in the exhibition, The Woman in White, uh, really holds its own very well on the wall and no one's ever heard much of Wilhelm List, mainly known as a great, great designer but also did these kind of poetic works. And then these kind of uh, Quattrocento-esque uh, works. Um, he's kind of like a Viennese um, pre-Raphaelite, you know. Um, and then when we look into... Oh, here he is. This is um, Wilhelm List, um, Klimt. This is Moser, we'll see in a minute. Um, all having a good time, the Vienna the session. But this is Liszt's work. So what I'm, why I've included, talking about Liszt here, transfiguration is he's obsessed with moments of eternity and transfiguration of, of psychologies of persons becoming something else, um, transforming themselves. Um, he's a very good example of that. Now, very odd choice here, but I I want to just get some conceptual ideas going, which I'm always, as someone who's concerned with portraiture, trying to go through and test ideas against others. Here, Rembrandt's our touchstone for the idea that there is an inner self and that we can, in our self-portraits, find it somehow. Or if we don't find it, we reveal that one exists. There's this sense which he does with, you know, light and mirrors, really. He really does it with chiaroscuro, that there's a sort of sense of penetration beneath the layers. And what Ed was talking about before, the whole idea that comes about of the unconscious mind, that, you know, we're not all on the surface. There's depth, and there's layers of depth. There's, you know, all the layers of the unconscious that Freud, you know, uh, established. Um, So, really... This idea was, was very much um, given almost embodiment by Rembrandt's sense of character and layers, which really is nothing other but nothing less than his extraordinary uh, way of manipulating paint to create um, sort of pools of ambiguity that we as viewers read into, and the sense of the whole person coming forward that we don't, a mystery that we don't ever totally penetrate, but we feel we, we're making some inroads. There's another, and so hang on. That's one idea of um, of the self as a as a layered self of going within, and that when we go within, we're we're transfigured by our inner selves. But there's another self, uh, another way of being transfigured, and perhaps that's even older, really. And here we have a. A couple of moments of a person being transfigured. One's the obvious one of the uh, creation of Adam by Michelangelo in the early 16th century, and the others, Bernini's great ecstasy of St. Teresa. She's certainly being overcome. These... These are people being transfigured, changed from one state to another, but not from within, definitely not from within, not generated by themselves, but from other, some outer force, God in the, in the form of an angel, God's hand quite literally here. So what it, this makes me think about is what do we mean when we talk about a transfigured self? Is it something that comes from outside, whether it's from God or a higher spiritual force or, is it some, or nature? and that's very important, or is it something that's generated from within? And is that what we're seeing in the Viennese culture, some notion that you can generate change from within your deepest psychological self? So if we look at Carl Moses' self-portrait here, um, a very powerful one, and, here, here, and you know, being... Like you know, investigating portraits all the time, we set it against the real the reality that is a photograph, though we all know photographs are another construction, but it's an interesting comparison. We see how he formalises his face and sort of bears his chest in this very, you know again, it's the body that matters. And this absolutely Christ-like pose. So here's another way of changing yourself. Almost, you know, let's go out for a drink or something or, you know, relaxed, uh, easygoing, humorous, to something quite, you know, frightening and certainly confronting. And that whole sort of feeling we want to ask, is he staring at us or staring inwards and the eyes looking out or in and indeed, a sense that they're doing both and of course the great reference point for all those frontal works is uh, the christ uh, sorry the christ like references of the self portrait by albrecht durer 1500 the great apocalyptic work there it is 1500 what a moment in time that was, and what a great psychological moment. But, of course, we know we, we, we mustn't uh, read too much psychology into this of, of our kind, of our 21st century kind, or our 20th century Viennese kind, because this is a homage, you know, to Christ. It's to be like Christ. It's to emulate Christ, which is a very different thing going on here, uh, and, uh, while it does obviously reference Christ. And just, you know, almost randomly to show how widespread this kind of, this pose, that frontal confrontational pose is, and especially around this time, because it's uh, his, uh, Sheila's great drawing of Robert Muller, the writer... Um, staring at us with those penetrating eyes. I mean, the idea of the artist as our writer, as someone who sees more deeply, sees with a godlike gaze, uh, the concepts of genius are very important. Or, Or is it more just to draw attention to the importance, the power of the inner self that can't be seen otherwise? Um, I, I wanted to just draw your attention to Aura, too, that there's another, there's a halo going on again around um, Moser, and two other works. This this is... I have not had time to look into it. I just couldn't resist putting up it. It's so bizarre. Um, but, but this kind of birth of Venus kind of thing, yeah, the sort of nature-worship stuff. But it's, but note the way the figures are all encapsulated in some sort of kind of womb-like um, aura. So it, it both... Um, it glows, as in the poem, um, you know, uh, everything growing all around. Um, and it's a womb-like sense of generation. Another example of this, of course, earlier example, but very prescient, um, very important, is Van Gogh, who um, here depicts himself as, as a kind of monk and here with that glowing... uh, Aura of paint strokes as another kind of um, halo around the figure that deifies the figure or or, or beatifies it or or shows that from within we have that sense of spiritual strength. Okay, we get to Sheila, and I'll just go very quickly. um, These wonderful um, photographic portraits by Trushka. Uh, that sense of internal gaze, again, sometimes very directly at you. Uh, For myself, as an art historian, I'd love to bring in Fontaine Latour as a precedent there. So, again, are we getting... So all through the 19th century, you get artists starting to portray themselves with um, a sense that declares their inviolate isolated genius that they can generate from within themselves a sense of power. And of course, you know, 21st century and late 20th century uh, century historians uh, love to debunk uh, the notion of the artistic genius because our whole stress now is to say the self is totally socially constructed or historically constructed or genetically, biologically constructed from without... So gone, the great tension I'm now finding myself talking about right away is the tension between saying, "Okay, if it's not all just generated from within, if ourselves are constructed also from without, where is that without? It's no longer that that, that hand of God. It's no longer a higher spiritual power. Is it just merely social or indeed biological construction? And I think that's the tension we're left with. Um, from my own point of view, these works we're looking at now in Vienna, I think is, a, is, is a perhaps a, a poetic moment of possibilities that we, we, we can return to and inspire us, I think, to see outside what I think is a too constrained view of possibilities. Um, I, I'm, Munch is obviously very close too to the notions of self that we, we have in these extraordinary works by Sheila, um, that extraordinary gaze and creating a sense of intensity. Uh, I'll just let you deal with that, too little time. (laughs) Um, And there's wonderful work that's in the exhibition, um, which has that intensity, and it's coming out in the hands. Hands are terribly, terribly important. It's now moved off the face and the gaze and the eyes to a less confrontational but deeply disturbing uh, view of the hands. But in that way, too, I think that Sheila's is being very modern. And... um, Starting now to say that the self is a performative self, it's a public self. It's not just about an intensity of of emotion and feeling coming through the anatomy, but it's actually something that you find through theatrical performance. And I have here a photograph, very interesting one from 1910, of Erwin Oson, who was also a fellow student with Sheila and who went on to become mime artist. And this is another... fellow mime artist, and look at the strange contortions of the hands. An absolutely fascinating character will come up again a bit later. So the fact that, um, you know, extraordinary um, self-presentation by um, Sheila now can find uh, interesting comparisons. My daughter tells me this is someone called Morrissey, who's a pop star. Um, and, And certainly his quiff of hair is very fashionable today, Um, It tells us, I think it leads us down this path that maybe we've got to look less at the unconscious self as uh, as social models of behaviour. And indeed, Rembrandt was doing this too, no time for that. And when we see him dressed up in his peacock waistcoat, those extraordinary hand gestures. Just want to show you the precedence uh, for the anatomy as as the great source and definer of the human condition. Here's Albrecht Durer's famous drawing of himself naked, the whole um, renaissance interest in the naked anatomy that Sheila takes up again, that Freud would then take up, uh, and he just died last week, didn't he? So um, there's an important recognition of Freud, the the great-grandson of Sigmund Freud. And here another possible um, source for Sheila's extraordinary sense of his own anatomy is in Javanese puppets, which he collected. Uh, hands and the importance of um, uh, mental hospitals that were in Vienna, and the all all that we've heard some uh, a lot about of of the explorations of inner psychology and the clinical observations. So here's a more scientific side of it, and and the, perhaps these hands uh, are related to those. Here's Osen again, Sheila's great drawing of of Erwin of, of Osson, who also did drawings after the mentally ill, a whole history of uh, I- investigation of hysteria. His Charcot, great teacher of Freud. More um, uh, self-depiction in this extraordinary contorted ways. His great portrait of Herbert Rayner, which um, I, I've related in the catalogue to uh, Japanese Puppets and dolls, which he also collected. I'll just wrap up with with Klimt, and I was going to talk about um, all the wonderful uh, ways the self is defined through the fabrics and the um, the the, the, the uh, actual imagery that's going on in those fabrics, which is like a sort of. Um, a sense of life generating. Here's the great baby in the, cr- cr- otherwise known as cradle, it's in the exhibition, just so wonderful. And I've related this back to this wonderful depiction by uh, Runga of uh, mourning and, and, and a sense of new life beginning. But I think that in, in uh, Klimts, it's really more an observation of a particular child uh, that he then deifies and puts on a mountaintop of these wonderful fabrics, but a sense of the sea of life underneath, that great oceanic feeling that was there in that poem and that we have reprised here in, um, in Sheila's wonderful embrace, which is pretty well certainly a self-portrait with his lover. Here they are, surrounded in that kind of aura that, that, and, 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 and afloat on that, that ocean, Together, and I think the idea here is the self is transfigured through the other, through nature, and through the body. So I'll end it there. Thank you.